Do you remember the last time you picked up a pen and noticed the quality? How about a razor you handled that didn't feel cheaply made? When was the last time a product made a true and lasting impression on you? In this era of the mass-produced and disposable, anything lovingly handcrafted seems to be a rare thing. Maybe it's time for a change, and Spindlecraft can help. At Spindlecraft, passion and superior quality make it stand out from the faceless, automated crowd. Material for each piece of work is thoughtfully chosen, crafted, sanded, and finally polished with the kind of attention to detail and dedication you can't get off of an assembly line. At Spindlecraft, they know that quality of the material is as important as the quality of the craftsmanship and is a reflection of both the artist and the customer. So rather than buying some cheap pens or razors that you won't give a second thought, purchase something from Spindlecraft. To see what they have to offer, go to www.spindlecraft.com and at the checkout, enter the word GEEKS. That's G-E-E-K-S to get 10% off. We're sure that once you have a Spindlecraft product in your hand, you won't want to put it down. Welcome to the Tennis Addict Podcast, the podcast for tennis fans by tennis fans. Listen as the hosts break down the latest news and tournament results from around the tennis world. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced early each week, so feel free to add us to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The links will be in the show notes. Here are your hosts, Mike, Eric, and Michael. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Tennis Attic Podcast. I'm joined by my co-hosts, that's plural, in Eric and Michael. Yay! And, and we're actually, we're actually all together, which never happens because we're all in separate locations when we record, but uh, I just happen to need to come over to uh, where both of them live and so we can record together, so it kind of just works out. It's going to be fun. It gives us a chance to kind of sit here and actually interact together. And rub at Mikey's face in person, you know, just a little bit, things like that. I this is going to be the shortest podcast you guys ever hear because I'm going to kick them out of my house very quickly. Yeah, about, about five minutes, basically. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah I think we've already recorded long enough. I think, um, we, I think you guys can go. So, so we're going to get into uh, set one here really quickly. Um, very little news uh, at the moment. It's really worth mentioning, at least since the, you know, the finals of the tournament is what we're going to get into. But... Sadly, due to debt issues and who he owes, uh, six-time Grand Slam champion Boris Becker has to sell his major trophies in an effort to shore up the debts. Um, it's not surprising. Um, yeah. No, it's not. You know, him living a little bit more outside of his means, but I think more or less he was making some bad decisions. The problem is there's a lot of people, you, you can make money in this world and not be very smart. And that unfortunately means you can also be taken advantage of by smart people who talk you into, man, you need to invest in this, do this, this, and this. And you go, 
hey, this guy makes lots of money too. He's smarter than me. He must know what he's doing. And unfortunately, uh, doesn't work out always. It, so. it, it's something I think a lot of athletes run into. I mean, if you're in the uh, American football, for instance, if you don't live in America <laughs> and you don't follow American football, you know, they make a lot of money and if you talk to a lot of the retired players or even just the ones that are currently playing, the amount of investments that have fallen through oh, that, have led them, that led them to, you know, declare blade bankruptcy and stuff. It's just, it's but, unfortunately something that I happens. Th- I think there is something it's either college or in the NFL now that they do have, give them classes. Yes. Uh, they, they take symposium. classes in yeah. rookie symposiums yeah. about, <laughs> and it is former players. I do believe that, that run, run these it. symposiums yeah. mm-hmm. and basically they talk about the, you know, the pitfalls, the things to look out for, the things not to do. So um, that's our ne- That's our new job guys. I, I just thought about a tennis <laughs> symposium. Once you get in the top 200, we, we teach you how to, you know, uh, invest your to... money properly. And I don't think that'll take off at all. Yeah, but, uh, no, it was a good no. idea for a second. Yeah. No, that's um, true. That's and out true. of all of us, only Mike was qualified. So. <clears throat> yeah, that's and, actually and, true. And I'm not that highly qualified. So okay. I'm, I'm, I'm minorly qualified <laughs> better than us. At least that's true. Um, all right. So we're going to move on to set two, which is the uh, tournament review. Um, we're going to start with some storylines and matches um and i mean two really big storylines uh one being one martin del potro yep uh made a very inspired run he you know made it back to the semifinals nine years after making it uh it was in 09 yep. was the last time he made it to the semis um and he came in with a groin injury um yep. which i it seemed okay yeah it seemed, it seemed okay, okay but it, it was there the tournament mm-hmm. until you yeah. said you thought you spotted it. Well, in it, the what, see, it wasn't the groin. So what, what happened was was it was really early in the first set. Uh, Nadal hit a ball behind Del Potro, and when Del Potro planted and turned, his right leg slid out a little bit sideways, and his whole body turned. Do so you think he re-injured it? Well, no, it torqued the left hip because uh, okay. he reached immediately on the outside. Correct me if I'm wrong. He did have some hip problems, probably within I mean, the last year as well. That seemingly <laughs> hasn't come back, but. Maybe little, I, I believe I believe that was the case, and I could be wrong, but I believe that he had something. Well, I mean, if that uh, was the hip, that was previously. the case, then that that could have been why it was even more evident. Now, but I just remember he, you pinpointing that he shook it off. Um, the trainer came gave him a couple of pain pain uh, tablets there, um, but that is kind of what I saw is the downfall. He was playing a lot better, and after that happened, yeah, you could just see like he could move, he could move to his left, so to his backhand side very well. Yeah, but when the doll would make him run to his forehand, pushing off the left leg and the hip, and that's where he can do the most damage is mm-hmm. on the forehand side on the exactly. right. Exactly. So, so yeah. what Nadal started and to do was eventually pull him wide of the forehand and go to the pull him wide of the backhand and go to the forehand. And that running, you could see the Delpo didn't like it. So, yeah, and you could layer that injury on top of the groin injury. Oh, I mean, of course, I'm we still sure. don't know how much that you know affected him throughout the tournament. You say, okay, you got to the semi, so it must not have been a problem, but we don't know that. But Maybe, good, good things. I did not expect this from Del Potro. No, I did. It was it was amazing to see him yeah. make that type of run, and all the more reason for us to believe that next two slams obviously <clears throat> could be a big out. factor. Hopefully, the, the, the grass obviously with his power mm-hmm. can be a big deal. He serves big, yeah. I just and the U.S. Open where obviously he's had success before, and we've seen him do great things there. So I just yeah. hope that the, you know the groin injury or the hip isn't going to affect him going into. Uh, 
uh, Wimbledon because there's nothing I would love to see more than <laughs> Roger not win again. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding because uh, Roger's probably going to win. But well, uh, I, it would be nice to see Del Potro sneak it in there. I'd I like did, him to I be did the next just, guy. just throwing it out there. I did hear uh, in the match coverage for the French Open today. They were talking about it. Roger is Roger is in Stuttgart already. Yeah. He will have his first match on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And he is the odds maker's favorite already with Nadal being number two. Which I, I thought... Yeah, I and, and, and listen to this, surprising enough, Djokovic at number three. Two, I can <laughs> see Djokovic more than I, I see Nadal. I feel like this honestly. is a case more... I don't think so, only because Djokovic, we still he's still not back yet. Nadal is still playing in form and I'm healthy. Just, I'm just saying... I just throw it out there. He's in He's in form, he's healthy, he's confident going into the grass court season. I think that... let's. I think the biggest question is going to be, is he going to play a warm-up tournament? Let, let us be known, Mikey is pulling for Nadal more than Mike and I are for Wimbledon right now, so that's not you well, normal. I, I'm just saying, okay, I'm, I'm not just, pulling. I'm saying that I honestly feel like he is a legit number two contender. Any, anytime he wins Roland Garros, he always has confidence, and, and I always say, all right, he's got a shot. But for whatever reason, he has to change his game up from what he did when he won in 010 and 08. Um, yeah. And I don't think he has – do I think he can make it to the quarters? Possibly the semis. Yes. Do I think Nadal is going to win it without Roger dying and a few other people getting knocked down? <laughs> like that? Well, well, no, no, no. And, I and just don't, reason, I don't see that And the that other happening. reason that I say about this odds maker stuff, throwing Djokovic in there, I, yeah. what, what about Chilich, who has never dropped his form? He's still playing at a very high level. He made the final. He last made year. the final. Like yep. this guy's playing in great form. We've never seen him just completely fall off the face of the earth in his yeah, form. Yeah, I would put Chilich ahead of both Del Potro, uh, not Del Potro, sorry, uh, Djokovic and Nadal. And, in my and opinion, yeah, no one talks about him at all. Well, that's the thing. He's you he know, always kind of flies under the radar. And as for them putting Nadal and Djokovic up there, I think it's more of a case of them being. You know the two other greatest players of all time in this era. Less about sure. their ability right I now. I think so too. It's, it's a recognizable time great name as opposed to being and actually the, a fact. The betters are going to do it for the most part to cover their butts early on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For, so to hedge their bets. I'm you know, sure. I'm not sure gonna... that as as the you know the, the Fortnite comes in. I'm sure with we'll each see. match that will change we'll or see. We'll because see, yeah. They're not gonna, change. You know, Nadal hasn't made it to the fourth round or quarterfinals since what? Since he won it or something? Or maybe 11, 2012. 11. Yeah, right. probably yeah. made it there. So it's been, you know, seven years, six years. Um, and so they're not going to go, oh, well, he's a 501 to win it because they'd be eating their words if he did and you know, how much money they'd lose. True. But right. anyway. And then, and then back to what we're talking about, probably the biggest standout of the whole entire tournament. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Marto Marco Cecchianato. Cecchianato. Yep. yep. Um, despite never having won a Grand Slam match before the tournament, he, ne- he never got into a, a draw before. Never even made a main draw. <laughs> Lost in qualifying, I think, several times. Uh, makes a Cinderella run to the semifinals. Uh, and also dispatching Djokovic in the quarters before falling to team in the semifinals. Right. Um, the question that we did throw out here, though, did Novak collapse in the fourth set despite having break chances to go up 5-2 and also four set points in the tie break? So Djokovic had a lot of chances yeah. to <clears throat> push this to a fifth where we would inevitably think that he would somehow figure out a way to win this because you know, Tetsunato's never been in this kind of situation ever. But yeah, yeah. Djokovic is 
Djokovic has come down match point twice in U.S. Open, you know, so it's somewhere federal. he's being too so. federal. So. <laughs> right. uh, I was listening to the match. I did not get to watch it. And Ray Roland Garros, I love. His commentators are awesome. Yeah, they're great. This this year, it wasn't part of the app. I had to go to their Twitter. Yeah, I was going to say, I was looking at the app, too, and I couldn't yeah, find it. Wasn't, it. No, so they didn't have I, it I was there, struggling so that way, too. I had to go to the Twitter, and then once I found it, so the Twitter every time. But um, from what it sounded like, and they pretty spot on, is it just felt like not Djokovic was choking as much as Chechinato was just not letting it get to him and his nerves. It's mental strength, I got to tell you, because you're going against a 12-time Grand Slam champion. Yeah. And you're, you know, having break chances against, break chances, you know, four, and it's just, it's a seesaw, and, and he didn't flinch. He didn't blink. It was Novak. I just don't think Novak collapsed. I think he just... He didn't raise level. his level. He yeah, they just touching on his level, just raise a little bit more. I didn't, I didn't see Djokovic I, start netting balls or anything. Well, let me, I, let me put it this way. I'll give you my, because I watched the match, and I can tell you that I think it kind of, it's kind of a bit of both. I think for one, Tetchinato was, he's just the kind of solid uh, clay court uh, player that doesn't miss a whole lot that would force Djokovic to be consistent all match long. And I think on one hand, Tetchinato didn't give up. You know, no. he didn't give up. It's, he kept grinding away, grinding away, grinding away. And right now, that's the kind of player that can just give Djokovic fits. And then the other part of that, I think, is Djokovic, I think he kind of did blink a little bit because, you know, he had chance, chances he should have taken. And some of those misses were, were barely misses um, by very little. And some of them were, were horrible. And some of them were just Tetchinato making a great shot. But at the end of the day, the fact is, he was, like I said, break point chances to go up 5-2. Even if he didn't break at that point, you still were up a break. You know, he still should have served sure. that set out and gone into a fifth where I think Ticinato probably would have run out of gas at that point. But it just didn't happen. Ticinato came back and then that epic tie break, which was fantastic, by the way. Yes. And it it, let, it ended with Ticinato making some great shots. Djokovic making some great shots. But the end was... Chichinado hit a return down the line winner that, you know, hit the back corner line. <laughs> basically, the intersection of both lines, it basically hit right there and the match was over. So, you know, hey, all power, more power to the guy because he never say, and he never, he never gave up. There was a never say die attitude and you can't root against somebody like that in that situation where much more talented players would have faltered. True. Um, and this brings up an interesting point uh, and question that I want to pose to both of you. Yep. Before we started recording today, we all got together for a short bit of time. Eric, you and I had a little bit more time to talk. But Mike, I want to throw this to you as well. So we talked about guys that will be in the clay court conversation going forward. Mm -hmm. Do you guys see Chechenato possibly throwing his name into the hat? We've already seen guys like Tsitsipas. Earlier on in the season, Shapovalov you know, doing pretty. We've, we saw we saw Shapovalov start playing well on the surface as well. So besides the the normal suspects of we'll say at this point, uh, Nadal, Zverev, team, um, you could maybe throw Djokovic once he gets his form back completely back. Mm -hmm. Do we say Chechenato? Do we throw his name into that hat as well as someone in the future here? He is pretty young. Correct me if I'm 25, wrong. Twenty five. Twenty five. So he's got plenty of of, of time. You know, I'd left. Say it's too early. Too early. Yeah. I would put Delpo. I, if I had to pick one, it's a guy who pick someone and add to like the fourth. 
I would say Delpo before I say Marco or even Poss because he he's shown this year and since last year he's coming back. He's getting there. Not quite, but, you, you know, if he Well, and I, I should throw a healthy Stan Wawrinka into that conversation too. We'll see. Possibly. Yeah, yeah, possibly <laughs> Once healthy. a Stan. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, you can't count on a Roland Garros winner. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, Chichen Auto, like I said, it's too early because this is – anybody can have a Cinderella run. We've seen it before. This is true. Slams. This is true. It, you know, now if he uh, plays some clay court tournaments uh, throughout the rest of the year, maybe hones his game, maybe he goes into the next year and plays decently in the clay court season, then we can reevaluate and, you know, go from there. But for now – it's just a great run, and and that's all we can take it as at the moment. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't like he was ranked two hundred fifty third, and he was seventy two. Mm-hmm. He's going to be down into the twenties. Yeah, he'll be twenty six. I think. Yeah, he'll be 26. he'll be ranked for Wimbledon for sure. Yeah, yeah he'll uh, get in the twenties. Yeah, he'll be a seed. I, I good for him. I, I, I it was funny. The commentators were talking about that, and they kind of chuckled like, "Well." That's great and all, but that's probably not going to be a whole lot for him at Wimbledon to necessarily be seated. But, but we don't know what his game right. is on grass. Well, we haven't really seen that. I so We haven't paid attention but either. But you know, I he mean, gets to be at Wimbledon, right? I mean, well, that's just a great thing. It's, just well, right, 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 right. So he's here, going to be in the main draw. He's going to be seated, so he's probably not going to face another seated guy until the third round. So he's got a chance yeah, if he doesn't right. get any big floaters in right. the draw. So and the Roland Garros, sorry, the Roland Garros check he's going to get, and I just want to mention this. Because we've talked often. We'll about set how him up for years if he doesn't. Well, right. well, it's gonna, it's gonna. I don't know the Possibly. amount, but it's it's hundreds of. It's probably a couple hundred thousand. Dollars. Yeah, it's elite. It well, at least semi semifinals. It's probably between two and five hundred thousand. Right. So you're yeah. looking at you know for a guy who probably has been struggling just to be able to afford this and that. Now he can afford a really good. And we're talking yeah, about a guy. We're, we're talking good. about a guy yeah. that was seventy second in the world. Right. So he's had a little bit of success. So we're talking about a guy who can now afford to get himself a, a tra- maybe another trainer or nutritionist or you know some more uh, first class airfare, not coach tickets, <laughs> possibly. You know, but the point is, ultimately, you know, you're talking about somebody who's going to be able to use this money um, to really help elevate his game, and and we can't discount the fact that. The money that a lot of these top players makes, I mean, that is that helps. It doesn't necessarily make the difference, but it definitely helps. So almost half a million pounds. Yeah, half a million pounds. If you translate that into dollars, I don't know. That's probably like it's about more. Four it's, it's more. It's more. I would say yeah. probably around four hundred thousand or so ish. Four, but four, four fifty. That's a lot. Because the money. pound's quite a bit higher, I think, right now than the US. I don't know. For some, just saying, just but currency. It's it's somewhere still around the yeah, same amount of money. We'll just we'll just throw it out there. Close to half a million pounds. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's still a lot of money. It is. So, so there you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. So. All right, let's move on to our actual talk about the. Well, actually, no. Oh. Before that, I, yeah. what I wanted to put a point was. Oh yes, yes. So you know, Marco is twenty five, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of people don't realize that uh, you know he just recently, not really recently, but recently came back on tour. He was caught up in the midst of that um, pat- uh, match fixing, match fixing scandal. He had an eighteen month ban imposed on him by the Italian Federation. Not um, by the ATP, but no. by the Italian Federation, well, and, right? And not, which and is not a big the, point to make. There. Not the group of people that actually handle now the match fixing. There's like a group that it was just it was exclusively the Federation. It. Gotcha. Um, it was the exclusive Federation. Now it was overturned when it finally came out that there was, you know, what he had said. There was no evidence uh, to to prove him wrong otherwise yeah idea. like he was so, guilty of so it. you know he had a lot of time off tour completely working on his game and i think 
that, that may have helped. That helped him out. Helped. And I'm um, sure it made the hunger there. Yeah. I'm sure you know, it made him hungry uh, to come back. You know. So Exactly. So, you know, it's a, it's a great run for him. And, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll find out how he does at Wimbledon. But as Mike said, we're going to get on to uh, the final talk and the road to the final. All right. Road to the final here. We're going to just uh, do a quick rundown of the opponents that each player faced in order to get to the final. So for Rafael Nadal, he... Uh, faced uh, Simon Belilly in the over first, two days. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, and over two days. It was a straight sets of victory for him. There It was a tough one though. If you watch third set, it yeah, was tough. It was very tough. Uh, Belilly was just kind of throwing haymakers all all day. But anyway, he was doing the stand. He yeah, was pulling, doing the stand. The man. He was. Yeah. He was out there just ripping everything. Yep. Uh, he faced Guido Pea in in the next round and uh, straight sets of victory there. Overall, pretty easy. Same with Richard Gasquet. Um, basically, the punching bag for Nadal. Uh, for many, many years, 15, now. Many 15 years. or 16 straight victories. So, I think 17 now, actually. Actually, 17th. Uh, Maximilian Martyr. Now, this guy surprised me. He he actually played Nadal, I think, a lot better than maybe the score would indicate. Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, very similar to Belilly. They, right. They, he, he went out there and was aggressive. Yep. And was able to take some chances here and there. Mm-hmm. But he played over, on a hot day, though. And yeah, didn't do many yeah, that did <laughs> not help him at all. Do many favors, um, not at all. And then, of course, Diego Schwartzman. This is the big one because Mighty Mouse. Know, this yeah. Mighty Mouse. This guy, you know, we don't know what this match would have been like. Honestly, I mean, no one can really honestly say what this match would have been like had. I mean, this match not had a rain, not had a rain, rain delay, delay and rain then delays. a holdover for the next day. Well, right. I don't think this. I want to say this: the second rain delay, I don't think is what the change was. He was already, it was the first. yeah, he was already back to being Nadal mentally after the first one. So. Right. So just a little, like a little thought here. So if the first rain delay doesn't happen, and they play straight through until the rain hits, and then they stop play till the second day. Where do you think the match would have been at at that point? I, I got to tell you, I mean, look, the fact when is, when I talked to you, I thought I think you really had the true thought that he'd have been down two sets going into the second. I day. think so. I, think I really do because at that point, Nadal was completely unnerved. He wasn't really playing particularly well, but at the same time, that was also partially because of Schwartzman and his style. And Schwartzman was throwing haymakers, and the thing was, they were landing in. Yes, um, he was pushing Nadal all over the court, and Nadal's spin, and it just the conditions super, were soggy. Super aggressive play. The, the fact is that the second day helped out Nadal mentally because the conditions were vastly different from the day before. They were humid, but it, the court wasn't wet like it yeah, had been. It was, it was hotter too. Yeah, it, wasn't, it was hotter. It wasn't. The ball was jumping up a lot more in Schwartzman's backhand, and that elicited more errors and just more opportunities. Not to, to mention the that Nadal then had the lead yep. in the second set going into the second day, so. Although he was down a set, in a sense, he was only one game away from being Leveling a three-set match, basically, yeah. for the second it. day. So Correct. Yeah. So then, uh, and of course, in the semis, he faced Juan Martín del Potro. Um, we talked about that briefly, and that was a three-set victory there. Uh, the four-setter before was over Schwartzman, of course. So... Uh, as for Dominic Team, um, his path was a little more troublesome. He, he faced, faced a lot of good dirt ballers, to be honest. Yeah, he, he had yeah. tougher opponents. He did. He had Ilya uh, Vashka. He took out in straight sets. Then he took out uh, Stefanos uh, Tsitsipas in four sets. Of course, we know how good Tsitsipas played earlier this clay court season. Matteo Berentini, he took out in, again, four sets there. Another small Cinderella story there. Correct. Uh, a lot of you know, great result for, for him. And then Kini Shakori. Uh, four setter there so it really wasn't until the latter stages of the slam in which you felt like team was starting to play better but and I and I kind of want to put at least a small asterisk mm-hmm. here let's face it Alexander Zverev had just played 
three consecutive five set matches. So that straight but not six. Teams fault. No, it's not team's That's fault. He doesn't apologize for that. It's not his fault. <laughs> but the six four six two six one um, score line. I mean, it's misleading. It's the same thing as misleading yeah. for Del Potro's right. match Correct. against Nadal, where you knew you know after well, the first set. I mean, it, they they were was, basically identical score lines. So, it was yeah. it was a hamstring. It was is Zverev's hamstrings that was really getting him too. I think it was the right right or the left. He kept pulling. Yeah. At. He was exhausted. His um, body was yeah. just. I mean, that, yeah. he 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 had probably. Probably three times the court time that the team did going into that match. Definitely. Yep, definitely. Yep, and the like same with Delpo with the hip and then the groin injury. Yeah, so, so you both can't, were aided. You got to treat that as. But you know what's good about that in a way? That made the playing field for the final much, much better. Yeah, it wasn't somebody exhausted themselves in one a five setter on one side. Because admittedly, I've told yeah. you guys many times that, that some of the finals well, that the Dolls had, he's faced guys that had just come off of wars yeah. to yeah. try to even get to him. Mm-hmm. So but, you're hobbling into the court to face arguably the greatest guy on the surface ever. Well, it is the greatest guy on the surface ever. But unfortunately so. for teams, Varev was basically his hardest test. wasn't even a semifinal, though. So that That's was true. just a quarter. Right. That's true. And then he had to face the wonderkin, Chichinato. <laughs> which actually, you know, it's a 7-5-7-6-6-1. This, by the time you got to the third set, uh, Chichinato, I think, was, was just defeated. exhausted yeah, at that point. Yeah, he was point. defeated. Well, and, and I'm sure mentally now, down two sets like you were going to say there. Yeah, yeah but Down two yeah. sets but at that point. He gave he gave team for two sets. He gave him all he could handle. Absolutely. And he had his you chances know. there Absolutely. in Absolutely. the second set tie oh, break. Yes, he did. <laughs> was it was it three two th- three chances? I think there uh, was two or three I chances. Think it was three. He was serving. I think it. it I want to say it was like he was serving at like nine eight or something. Uh, Ticinato was for actually for four set points. Yeah, and he lost both of them. And then I think team won. I think he went team 10, no, 12-10. Yeah, something, something like so, that. But he had yeah. he had lots of chances, and I think that's what killed him. Yep. You know, he, he came that close and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. fell short, and it's like, okay. I mean, that's what happened last year when team faced Nadal in the semifinals, Roland Garros. He blanked him in the third set, 6-0. It's like once you get down two, it's, should I, do I risk injury? I ain't going to come back, so I might as well that's true. just play that, that is, and that is very, take very my true. loss. So, yeah. so exactly. I'll pose a couple questions to you guys to let you boast a little more. Uh, <laughs> what were the factors that led Nadal to winning this match in this final against Dominic Team? Uh, uh, I think he played his game. Nadal did. Um, he, I think he, at- he attacked Team's backhand, which, of course, you know, was a given. I mean, you're going to attack that backhand until Team shows you that you shouldn't. And I think he did a decent job. With defending his back end. He did. Decent. He did. But there were times is, where... I'll put it to you this point. As much as he possibly could have. Right. I don't think he was going to be able to truly be offensive with it. Not like Federer has become offensive with no. his backhand. But yeah. admittedly, Federer I don't think would be as offensive here either. So mm, Even with his new backhand, I don't know that he could On the clay, that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah so, I, but I think ultimately, you know, even though Nadal was backhand, the team's backhand, he would he would hit with a, with a ton of top spin. It would bounce way up. So team would have and to loop go back, it. loop it back, and team would have to go, you know, probably 15 feet behind the baseline just to, to get that ball back. And then, of course, Nadal at that point was already coming in, for which was going to be a very short ball. So... Uh, but that's you know, what surprised me, right? And Nadal's backhand, I think, was his best shot today. His backhand he was, was extremely yes. rock solid. I will yeah. say it, that it was until the middle of the second set, in my opinion, because you started to see, see him actually really turn over mm-hmm. on the wrist yeah. and really start cutting the angles mm-hmm. against mm-hmm. Uh, team on the backhand. Agreed. And then I think what surprised me a bit was team's inability to pick the balls up 
short, not short, sorry, um, pick the balls up on the rise because it was a lot of those looping forehands and always hitting that weren't really pacey. True. And he wasn't stepping in to either – because that's, that's what – Fed has shown has worked as he'd step in take time away. and mm-hmm. take it on the rise, and he wasn't doing any of that. Like Mike said, he was dropping back 12, 15 feet, about kicking the alligator sign over to hit uh, Nadal's back and then hit Nadal's forehand back um, on the backhand side. And it, I did not see him once really take one early. Yep. You know, it, it, he would just take them as they were. You know, if Nadal hit it deep, he'd back up. If Nadal hit it kind of short, yeah, he was stepping up. But he wasn't really doing anything when Nadal would hit a looping one. The only, the only reason that I could possibly think for that, now we know the team has probably one, one of the biggest backswings oh, of yeah. any, but he takes the one of the biggest cuts of anybody on tour. He's basically Gasquet so on needs, both sides. He needs time. <laughs> but the fact is he used an extreme grip, which well, – yeah, He has the second most – Top spin on a backhand side behind Gasquet. Right. So my point is that I'm making is I'm wondering if the added not just the fact that he takes such a big swing, but because because of of his extreme grip as well that he was having a very hard time trying to time that. Because I know in my mind there were some points in time where I was noticing trying to start moving in occasionally and take balls on the rise, but he just wasn't very successful with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but to your credit, I agree. I think if he was able to successfully do that more, it would have given him better opportunities. I, I completely agree there. Um, um, so uh, I would say by another factor was uh, yeah, no, go ahead. the, the ment- mental game is, is what happens. Uh, you know, <laughs> what I said to you about – uh, it's the only thing right now, and I said it earlier before the, the, the uh, podcast started to Mikey, was that in my opinion, um, Zverev is a little bit ahead of team in the mental toughness department where you saw team bludgeon 140 mile an hour serves and a terrible first serve percentage, 48%, 46% in the first set. Um, but he was only winning 58% of his first serves. Someone who's, you know, hitting them 130 miles an hour most of the time, it wasn't <clears throat> registering him to change up any tactics until he'd already lost the first set. And you could just see in his ground strokes. Yeah, some ground strokes he would, you know, he would hit and he'd put more pace on him and go for him. But he was not whacking every ball like he was in the first set after he had lost. Mm-hmm. True. And that's something that, that separates you know, him from the bigger champions, you know, like you've seen Djokovic multiple times come from match point down, you know, Nadal and Federer and Djokovic all lose a first set. It's like no sweat. Okay. Unless mm-hmm. they're facing each other, then it's a different thing. But against basically anybody else, you know, you win a first set on them and they can just brush it off. But the younger people like team is very of, I just don't think they're there. Or that generation, for some reason, just doesn't have the mental toughness. No, the belief. Well, and, and, and the belief that, that they can come back. And I, I, I think yeah. that's the other factor that let Nadal win. I think it was, and we could probably all agree, it was more important for team to win the first set than it was Nadal to win the first set. Oh, but that oh absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, and Eric, I, I don't think you were on the podcast with us the week that Mike and I had the conversation about why specifically this generation has struggled to start eclipsing the top guys. Uh, And, you know, Mike, I basically said in that that uh, because they've taken so many bad defeats to the top guys, when they truly went out there with the belief, like, I've got a good game plan and I can do this, and then they've just been blown off the court like they didn't even show up, 
those type of losses repeatedly one after another after another after another for so long now yeah is is what has kept this generation from trying to take that step forward and yeah. i think it it's actually no, I almost want to say that it's hurt into the next generation in a way. I think like so too. past that, like yeah. it's it's slowed the progress of everyone mm-hmm. um, to the point where it's the the next guys who are obviously the true next guys. It's obvious that they're there, that they're going to be the next guys. It's just they can't take that step forward yet well, because yeah, mentally yeah. that the, there's too much scar tissue. A word that you've used a lot, yeah. you know, on the podcast. There's too much scar tissue for them to. <laughs> Almost have to rip that scar tissue off to try to actually move forward. We got to remember and something. That's too. not an easy thing to do. You got to remember something. You also look at if you look at Nadal, you can throw Murray in here uh, and Djokovic, and I mean to a lesser degree at the moment, but historically, Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, and Murray, you know, the quote unquote big four. You got to remember. They have been through all of these situations before. They have been through the tough dozens, the tough matches, the the five set grind fests. They go out there and nothing surprises them. They lose the first set. They know what's going to happen. They They know what level they're going to have to invoke to try to win. Right. And so even if they lose the first set, they they don't panic because they've been against each other through all these matches. So why would I panic against? You team or you Zverev uh, right or, the guy yeah, yeah. the guy the guy from the fifth row right yeah <laughs> just, you just at the moment it's just it's not something that they need to do and it's true so. and I think it's focus too I yeah. think you know in this day and age there's so many things that people you know can do when you know Nadal and, and Federer and besides saying nobody has opponents against each other like like you had Nadal win young you really haven't had anybody win young when's the last time someone really young won a Grand Slam. Nadal, because Stan wasn't young, Chilich wasn't young, Delpo would have been the last kind of young person back well, in Nadal, Nadal, Djokovic, when he first won, and he was twenty. But I'm saying, but I'm saying, but I'm saying those are the only three. That's what I'm saying. Those are the only three. Yeah, yeah. So I think Delpo would have been the last young person, and that was in '09, right. because before that, he Nadal and Djokovic already and had Nadal, one. Djokovic had won. Yes, so you right. had these people going, you know, against each other, forcing each other to be better. Nadal and Federer have said it themselves that it's their as great as they are because of each other oh, pushing absolutely. each other to be better. Who in their generation is facing each other on a regular basis that they're that they're gonna be the next big thing and someone's gonna push them to be better. Right now they're facing old fogies who are just wiping them off the court for the most part. And I think it, it hurts them because when the big four started, they lucked out and there was just a gap you didn't have anybody you had kind of agassi coming back but you really have anybody who was taking it by storm and winning every slam then federer started so he was like the linchpin like he started it all and then you had fed then you had the doll come and go okay i'm gonna start going against you because it was just this guy to go after and then Djokovic kind of jumps in and, and you see murray kind of jump in but now until like they disappear you're trying to fight generation right now basically until that hole shows up again exactly until until like i think it's going to take two of the four to disappear i think like when it all in fed disappear you're gonna allow it to be it'll start opening exactly like right now Nadal and Fed are winning everything. Six in a row now. Djokovic will be back. He will probably win one more Grand Slam at least. One Something. Or, one or two. Murray, yeah. don't know yet, but Murray's going to be back to playing. So even if Murray doesn't win stuff, you're going to have to fight Murray somewhere. Like You're going to have the big four playing again. And stand. And like right now yep. is the, Figuratively right now is like up. their best opportunity because they're only facing – they don't have two. to face Nadal. 
and they had a week into Djokovic who's well, not back on form. Yeah. You go back to Wimbledon, and we don't know what, what Murray's going to show up, but you're going to have Federer, <laughs> the hardest one. Nadal, if he makes it, okay. Murray, don't know. Djokovic, okay. Probably going to be pretty decent. He had a good showing mm-hmm. until he beat Chechenania, so I got to say it. And by the time U.S. Open rolls around, you could be looking at four decently healthy Good big four. You know, you've got Fed and Nadal being healthy in that, but you could have Djokovic kind of back and Murray back. And then Stan that, could be back by yeah, that exactly. too. But and, I mean, that you're window, about a full field the window again. of opportunity is going to kind of close, close again, again, and then they're going to have to wait. So you got to take two opportunities when they. Yeah, and I think, themselves. and I, I don't think they did. I don't, they did not capitalize yeah. on only having to face one of those two or maybe both. Uh, and I think that's the the biggest thing going against their generation. You, you, you bring a, an interesting thought in my mind here. So you said about that gap before Federer and Nadal came in. So when that gap happens after they leave now, we talked about these type of players. We talked about team. We talked about Zafira. I don't know if there'll be a gap. I think they'll but be I mean, picking but I mean, right but up But I mean, after. what I mean yeah. is there's going to be that void, and then they're going to step into that void and, and I think fill so. it. Yeah. Um, I, I just throw out an interesting thing, something that we could look forward to in a <clears throat> possible future podcast. What would have been if the Federer-Nadal era dominance didn't happen, we would have had possibly a big four then of Safin, Roddick. Hewitt, maybe Roddick, Roddick yeah. and Ferrero. Yeah, one, one Carlos Ferrero. Four awesome. guys yep. that all won slams right before Federer took over, mm-hmm. and then Nadal after, right behind him. We You could have had four guys. They were all young then. Yep. They could have basically run with it from then on. Yep. But, and, they, and but they were not generational talents. That's the problem. They, because they, they obviously proved it. They each won a slam, and well, Hewitt won two, or Safin won two, or something like Saffin that. Safin won two, Ferrero won two, and Hewitt won two. two. Yeah, and Roddick only got one. Only got one. No. But was three. in like five finals. Roddick didn't win three. No, no, no. I thought Hewitt won three. Didn't he win, uh, he won Wimbledon? Didn't he win two Wimbledons and a U.S. Open? I thought he only won two. All right, so either two or three, but yeah, we're going to move on. Yeah. But so, so okay, so even if he if he won three, I'll say that's pretty good. But I don't remember Hewitt's, Hewitt's name. No, you can't because Hewitt's name is not brought up at all when they talk about Stan. All oh, right, right, right. Um, so it must be only two. two. But again, again, they, okay, you had a, a you know I want to say they were pretenders, but they were just good people. But they were not elite level like Djokovic and Nadal, Fed are, and they were just kind of battling each other. But what I'm saying Fed is, they would up. have had the ability to rise well, yeah, each other's it, level similarly. This, I'm just, it's all hypothetical. I think it's, it's I know it's, it's actually interesting to look at. I yeah. just don't see them their quality of play. I don't think they're just talent level. Their ceiling when it's high is Fed and Nadal. You know, because Fed was beating everybody. And the doll just made Fed even better. So that was the scary part. And Fed was already beating everybody in the first place. I think Roddick, I think Roddick would have passed. Out of all those people, I think Roddick would have been the one to win the most because, because it the was only person that could beat him. The only that one point. that was beating him was Roger. Yeah. So if Roger's Roger not there, Roddick is probably more like a six, seven time Grand Slam champion. At Wimbledon and probably, I mean, it's probably like eight or nine. He probably would have had a handful of Wimbledons because right. he lost to Fed every time. And, right. and he lost had, to Roddick a couple times in New York, or he lost to Fed a couple times in New York. New York right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, so, I mean, that one I can see. His ceiling was a little bit higher. But I just said I'm just meaning that little that little gap of generation. We're all great talents, mm-hmm. 
that could have excelled further it's possible. had they not basically been stonewalled. Yeah. Exactly. Right yeah. after they started to have their success. Yeah. Is all but all right, we'll, let's we'll just, move Yeah, forward. let's move let's get back to the team. What did well, team Well, we we started we, on that a little oh. bit already that, that you know what team kind of I think Eric you kind of started into that a yeah. bit. All right. So I think I think team went too flat on his ground strokes early on in the match. Uh, he, was, he, was he was going, going for broke. He was going for broke. He was too big on his first serve. He was trying to He's trying to knock Nadal off the court with this serve, 140 mile per hour. Which, when it went in, yep, was great. It was working. But right. a very low percentage, as Eric uh, said already. Um, and just not consistent enough because you've just going too big. And by the time. Yeah. There's it, no need for 106 mile an hour forehand winner. No. Inside out. No. Like, you don't need to do that. You know how much energy you're wasting? Well, you're wasting a ton of energy in the but, first set. But again, too. everybody feels like they have to do that against Nadal. Yeah, but here. But see, you're gonna, you have to look at Djokovic's model. Djokovic wasn't out there ripping 106 mile per hour winners. Djokovic was beating Nadal when he was beating Nadal when he beat him at Roland Garros and when he took him to five sets a few years back. He did so by consistency, consistency and angle, and consistency on ground strokes, placement, mm-hmm. angle. Mm-hmm. That's what you have to do. You have to be able. But that's you, not team's game. Right? I know, but you, you know have that. to do that. You have to. You, you have can, to change up. The problem with 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 team is he's too one dimensional right now. He he stands back deep and he just exactly rips, what I told you. Yeah, 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 yeah. And in the the fact is, if team can start learning to know when to go big on his shot, go for the killer ground stroke, but otherwise drop that down to about seventy five percent of what you could do, and and do that consistently. And set up the point. Set up the point, point and then go big because that's what Nadal does. Nadal hit standard forehand, standard forehand, back, backhand, backhand goes cross court and Nadal rips a ground moving. stroke. He just keeps moving until he sees an opening and, and then, then he rips he a ground stroke down the, yeah. down the defense line. Defense to offense. Yep. Yeah. And Dominic team, like you said, just wants to do offense 24-7 and it, he expends a lot of energy too. You could tell he was exhausted. He was exhausted. Uh, yeah, I, I, I knew, well, I messaged, Mentally I messaged you guys and I was like, he, he he's done. He, he exerted way too much energy in the first set. I honestly thought that he would have gone whitewashed in the second and third more than he even did. Well, no, he yeah. started. In my opinion, he took off. But he, but he, uh, he did a little bit of changing of his of his tactic. A little took bit, off on the first, which serve. is what yeah. you both said he yep. needed to do. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and that helped him. I mean, it wasn't enough. He wasn't going to get back into it once you lose the first set. What you know, the combined percentage of the top, the big four, when they win the first set. It's like ninety five percent or something like ninety two ninety five percent that they win. So it's it's yeah. a monumental uh, thing to do. So yeah. um, and and for the outlook for the players moving forward, we did kind of talk about Nadal a little bit with Wimbledon. Um, you know, be, you guys are a little bit. hesitant just because of what's happened before. Right. If he makes it to the quarters and he's not been. He hasn't had to do more than maybe one five setter to get to the quarters. I will say, all right, he's got a legitimate shot. As a dark Maybe. horse, in my yeah. opinion. Quick question for both of you: Has Nadal's lack of success there been due to unlucky draws there, where he's faced guys that are just dangerous on that surface? No, I, they I have think, the ability to I be really dangerous. The, I think it's the knees, and I think in the past his workload in practice was still so ridiculously high that when he came out of the clay season, he's got to transition to grass, and that's already hard enough as it is. And then the knees and the workload and all of that, I just think he, he was going in with a lot of pain uh, in his knees. And I think the lessened workload he's dealing with now on a daily basis, I think has helped him longevity-wise and just being more effective on a day-to-day basis. So it's possible, possible, that if he makes the right strategic choices – Maybe he needs to change some things with the string. Uh, I think he actually needs to go a little 
get a little more pop on his shots and his serve. He takes, I think, too, I think there's too tight when he goes to Wimbledon because he needs to be able to be more offensive and end points quicker, and I think he doesn't. But anyway, that's another decision. I, another, and, he, uh, and he had a pretty, discussion, a pretty discussion. simple draw. Like, we didn't, he didn't get any long, brutal, drawn-out matches here. Yeah. So, you know, he shouldn't have a ton of wear and tear from this tournament, at least. I mean, it's still, well, it's still yeah, a full I mean, tournament. Look, look at last year. He didn't drop a set last year and right. still didn't help much of Wimbledon. <laughs> I, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. But, but what I'm saying is... I'm going to go know. based off of a look at the draw, and, and you know, we'll make a, you know, kind of a decision on there. But again, it's um, until he gets the fourth round of the quarters and is done so relative, relatively unscathed, then I'll say he's going to show up. But if he takes a couple of five setters and a four setter and stuff like that. I'm like, no, it's not gonna, he's just not, he's, yep. he's, when he was young and he could outrun everybody opponents and stop and start so quickly, he could bad shots and bad, bad hits. He could chase down and make the person another ball and then they get an air or whatnot. But lately, you know, those little, those they're, little they're putting them away yeah. is what's going on. So he can't do that. He just needs to hit flatter shot. Now a team, I would I would agree it's the same in a way. I don't think yeah. teams going to be that successful at, no. at Wimbledon. I, 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 I think, think it might be many many. To be honest, I think the perfect example for him he can, is he Stan Wawrinka. Is the perfect comparison to Dominic Team on grass. They both. It's, have, it's yeah. not been a great surface for Stan. It never yeah. has been. He's slowly getting better on it. But I don't think he'll ever be great. And to be honest, I don't think Team's game will ever lend to him team, being great if, on, if on grass. If Team takes takes some pace off the shots he's got rpms they can kick those balls up nice and high like the doll was doing when he was young and he does have a great kicker he does have a great kicker for- if he can take a little bit of pace off on grass they don't need to be above your shoulder no for it to be hard like it is on clay but if he gets it just high higher than anybody's normally playing when you practice on grass you're not saying hey poke him up above my head and my shoulders and let me start Hitting balls that high, no one practices like that no, on grass because no. that's not what to expect. No. But he can get balls like that, especially his biggest thing with his spin is going to be making it to the later rounds when the grass gets worn down. That's and then there's near, more of an effect near the baseline, yeah. and yeah. then they, they can really jump up. His hardest, like Nadal, his hardest matches are the first three rounds. Three rounds because the grass is fresh, it's slippery, everything stays low. You cannot really do your 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 game, um, your kick game, and everything. So uh, yeah. we'll, we'll see. So uh, basically, to answer the question, then at this point, it's not really changing the outlook for either <laughs> yeah. at this yeah. point. Yeah. There's not any this 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 final outcome really doesn't change the Wimbledon outlook right now. I want to see if point. both of them play a warm up tournament and how it kind of goes. In yeah. my opinion, we'll I don't see. know. I mean, I'm sure team's going to play. He's played more matches than anybody on tour in the last couple of years, I think. More tournaments. Sorry. He has entered more tournaments than yes. any player on yeah. tour yeah. the last yeah. two years. So I'm sure he's going to play a warm-up. I'm not too sure if Nadal's going yeah. to. We'll that's, see. that's always a, a big debate, yeah. to, to play or not to play. Yeah. All right. So that's it for the ATP side. We're going to move on to the WTA on the women's uh, side, and I'm let Mikey talk about that notable storyline because Mikey follows the women more than both of us do. I do, I do. Uh, you do a little yeah, bit, yeah, but yeah, let's but be honest. Like, so Mikey's always so Mike. I'll just throw it out there. So the biggest storyline I think for you and I both uh, is uh, Svitolina or the female version of Alexander Zverev. <laughs> Sorry, I got to throw <laughs> yeah. that out there. Uh, failing yet again to live up to her talent by losing early in early rounds. Um, you know, you th- kind of threw out there the idea of her being an Elena Dementieva type 
uh, of player where you know there's a lot of success, but not necessarily at the slams. Yeah. Um, yeah, we know how good Dementieva was, but when she correct. would get into the later stages of his slam, she would often collapse um, under the pressure, and she often uh, would find herself either losing in the early rounds or getting to about the midpoint of a slam, and then she would just collapse. Now, she did get to a couple finals. Dementieva yes. did back yes, in the she day. Did. But, you know, she just Where she proceeded seen... to hit 30 double faults each one, and that was the end of it. Right. I mean, but, yeah. But admittedly, yeah. I think you have to agree, yeah, in yeah. my honest opinion, I think Svitolina's game is much, much better than Dementieva's. Yeah. In all facets. Oh. But um, at this point in time, I think the biggest problem for her right now is um, there's a lot of quality players out there right now on the women's side that it's really, again, we said with Serena gone. Um, you know, and we really haven't talked about Serena and uh, about what happened true. with her tournament. Serena left, and but the fact is, it's, every it's everybody just kind of jockeying for position. No one person has stepped out and said, "I'm the one." Well, no, because they've had a different Grand Slam winner in every Grand Slam after Serena left from yes, the no back to back. Yeah, yeah no, well, not even a repeat at the moment. Nobody has since Serena's lost left. Well, since won, yeah, but she's only won. been out a couple slams at this point. Well, that was three last year, and then this makes us. Well, he she was here, but this makes five slams. Okay. But you've got five different winners right. out of five. This is, true. Yeah. this is true. My point is, though, um, I think that for her, there's so many other quality players. And I almost liken her game in a way to um, – her game and her style, I, I think you and I have both agreed many times, is very similar to Simona Halep's uh, as far as being a very consistent hitter off both sides. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have a great serve, but her serve's much better than Halep's, yeah. I think. yeah. Um, I think it's just a simple fact that it's the mental point right now. It's yeah, her yeah. getting mentally tough to get through those type of matches well, see, where thing, she struggled against quality of equal right, opponents but the play, and she just hasn't gotten through. Well, the player she lost against was... was well, a, no, no, I, I'm, you know, I'm agreeing, yeah. But, yeah. but you know, you got to remember, like, I was probably more surprised this year because not only did she defeat Simona Halep easily in yes. Rome, but... It was well documented by the announcers and everything that she was in the best shape of her of her oh, life. She is. She her, is in extremely her, good shape her right forehand, now. Forehand, she's hitting better and harder than she's ever hit in her career thus far. She's serving the, as big this year as she ever has, if not bigger. The fact is, she is essentially an improved version of an already really good player from last year, and she yes. was already. You know, came very many, close. Well, I think yeah. she won the most tournaments last year of any female. And I think and she won Rome last year as well. And mm-hmm. she made it deep into the French Open, and yet she collapsed. Yes. Last year at the French, and she obviously did here, losing even earlier. Mm-hmm. So it's She's probably, the anti-Stan. She's not big match Stan. Yeah. She's <laughs> let down Alina. Oh, yeah. I don't yes. know. Yeah. Good she's try. Like, let down Alina. She, she does. Well, yeah, because I mean, it's like, like Muguruza is the opposite. Muguruza can't win any tournament. I think she's maybe, what, one, she's one won, tournament one, outside. She's won one Master Series event other than a slam. Exactly. Where so. Alina wins everything else. I mean, it's like Wozniacki. Wozniacki finally it's won true. Australia. And how many years was she, like, the most consistent so, person? So do we winning? liken Svitolina to Wozniacki? Because let's be honest, right Wozniacki, yeah. Wozniacki was extremely in. mentally tough. It's just her well, game, the, she couldn't get through the people she was facing. The difference is that Svitolina has the weapons that Wozniacki doesn't. But doesn't have the mentality that Wozniacki yeah. did, Wozniacki, I think. Wozniacki had the mental strength. Mm-hmm. 
but Svitolina has the weapons. She has the game where she just doesn't have the mental strength. If she part, had the mental yeah. strength of Wozniak, then we probably would be talking, I would think, honestly, right now. A multi-slam champion. Yeah. Is, is it, I think Svitolina would have won at least one of these French Opens, whether last year or this year. And I think what you see clearly happening is with Serena being out, there's clearly not one female that is head and shoulders above the rest, like well, Serena is. Yes, I agree. Although I think, and we'll get to it. Can't I think one. You and I talked up. about this earlier. Yeah. I think we'll get to Halep in a, in a bit because I think Halep could be now that the monkey is off of her back. The now pressure, that that is, pressure gone. is gone. That she could. She could now be more free out there and and be able to and not have so much pressure on her because to try when, and, and and you when, know. Just be like, oh, I, I've got to get through this and be thinking about other things all the time, you know. I think with her, you know, she is the most consistent player. She's number one for a reason, but she's the most consistently excellent player on tour. She's the one – she makes it all the way It's to not the very finals. often that we see her losing early in a tournament. If she's she, not yeah. playing Serena, I, I agree. Until Serena leaves, though, she, Halep does not – unless Serena's not playing well and is off her game – does not match up well against Serena, though. That's yeah. that's the issue. So I think you're right, though. I yeah. think let's say Serena wins Wimbledon and then retires. Um, yeah, I oh, think you're Halep's, foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm foreshadowing that whatever the next major is, I think Serena retires right after. I think she loves. You mean it. after she wins the next yeah. major? Yeah, okay. it doesn't matter which one it is. That whether yeah. it's yeah. Wimbledon, U.S. Open, and I think if she doesn't win one by. Wimbledon or US Open next year, I think she's probably retiring at the end of next year regardless because I think she wants, you know, doesn't like being away and spending this time away from her daughter. I think she loves the family life and that's what she kind of wants to do, but she's like, I need that one more. I want to beat Margaret Court. She's going to be standalone Grand Slam titles of all time. She's going to have 25 and Court's got 24. So I think it's going to push her. Boom, she retires. And then I do agree that Halep has the best chance with this being off of her back to become the consistent person. I'm not saying a 10, 15 time winner. No, but, no, 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 no. But I can see her start being several more for, yeah. for, for multiple years being one or two a year type of deal. I can see that. Otherwise, no. I'm just seeing a smattering of what we've got now. And you're eventually going to get repeat winners. Sloan's probably going to win another one at some point. You know, Muguruza's already won uh, two. Uh, two. You know, so you have a, a few, but I don't see anybody other than Halep probably making it past five or six. I just there's a like you I said. Agree. There's I a agree. lot of good. They're like they're all good, but they're all on the same level of good. You got Serena very, that's up there's here. There's a very large Sher- batch. Sharapova's of- up there too, but Sharapova just always runs into Serena, and that's the problem there. Yeah, well, Sher- Sharapova's also now 31, so she's starting to get to the back end of her career. Exactly, and so she's then, not a yeah. she's not like uh, not the Serena's. It's a compliment, but like a freak of nature physically, where Serena's just so strong yeah. that she's like Federer, even if Federer's sinewy and whimsical. <laughs> Yeah. He's the different side, but nobody's got that type of build where I think they're going to play in their mid-30s. Like Serena Serena's got the waiting. build that even though she's older, she's got so much power and negates at least partially her, her age. Has she won more before or after she turned 30? Who? Serena. Didn't she, hasn't she won more Grand Slams after turning 30? Isn't she like 34, 35 now? I, I still think it might be a little bit less than 30 right now. Yeah, but I, it's close. Okay. I think yeah, I think it's she pretty. A more it's pretty equal. Or I think it's I don't. Equal I don't see point. that being like the guys. I see that trend 
happening, continuing, where later 20s, early 30s are going to kind of keep winning. Mm. But I don't see that on the women's side. I don't see somebody doing like another no, screen No, no, no. I and, agree and because there's, there's too much talent on the women's side that's coming up. And they're not It's not getting enough. stonewalled. Like on the men's side. Yeah, and they're not consistent enough. Nobody, no one person is just dominating everybody and everything. So So, anyway, speaking speaking of of Sharapova, we've seen her return to her best form, uh, you know, since the suspension. Lucky. (laughs) Um, Well, you know, Mike, correct me if I'm wrong. we we, We did our preview for the tournament. Yeah. And I told you what? I told you that if Sharapova beat Serena in the fourth round... Yeah, you said she she was gonna go all the way, right? She was gonna win the tournament. Right now, what happened? She... Serena withdrew before playing uh, Sharapova, so Sharapova won via a walkover. Yeah. That's not beating her. That is I... winning the match I... via forfeit. I don't buy that. That's why she didn't win, though. Because but I do. You know why? Because there was so much freaking build up. There was so much build up. Everything. As soon as it, as soon as the draw ended up that way, what happened? Everybody immediately, Serena Sharapova, Serena Sharapova. Here's the big showdown. Every every sports show talking about it. Every the tennis channel. That's all they're talking about. Serena against Sharapova, back and forth, back and forth. Can can Maria finally win? And when that happened, I was the same way, and I stood by what I said. If she beat her. She would have won the tournament because I didn't have her in the draw to winning. Remember, I told you that. Right. I think she was but still if she lose beat her, Maruza, though, I don't think even if she beat. Well, her. my point, my point is, I think there was so much build up. Then Serena withdraws with the injury, and now all that, all all that, all that big build up's gone. Yeah. I don't see that as a problem, though. I now, think that is for it's Maria. Not, it's not physically. It's or so mentally mental exhausting. in my in my mind that game that matchup with <clears throat> with Serena is so mental for Maria that she had to have put everything mentally into that. And when she came out in that next match, she that was probably the worst match she's played since she returned against Bogaruto. She got destroyed. Yeah, admittedly, but she's played. Her, she's basically playing her doppelganger, but her younger. But what I'm. But what I'm meaning is just the simple fact just, that I think there was too see, much of a letdown in her mind with not going through with the match. This is this is a question I would like people to respond to because sure. more than anything, I'm curious on what other people think too. Because you think that I think. It's actually better that she didn't. Because even if she did beat her, look what happens anytime somebody beats like their biggest rival early. They have a letdown. They have a letdown because it's so mentally – it's exhausting no matter what. No matter if they beat them or if they lose. Especially if they beat them, the, 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 the exhaustion that goes into beating them is worse in my opinion than just getting the walkover. Like it's not like she's going to go, oh, that's a win against Serena. It doesn't count. It's a walkover. But – I think that her not playing was better than if she would have played Serena. A, I would have thought she would have lost anyway. If Serena hadn't had the, the pec injury um, that she got, and I think she got it from playing doubles and singles at the same time, which you no know, overexertion no. smack. They, smack they her specifically hand on that said one. that 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 was it's the, the was. cause. It's yeah. overexertion. It's what it was. You don't go playing four matches in five or six months and let's go. Hey, let's go doubles and singles and have something every day going on, so on and so forth. But that's what I would like anybody that's listening. If you can write in, I'm curious to see. Do you think it would have been better to face Serena and beat her versus was it better for her to have the walkover and more time to then prepare for Muguruza and she's not exhausted. She could get on the court and practice and so on and so forth. That's how I'm thinking. Um, My take on this, honestly, real quickly, and then we'll move into the final talk, is I don't think it really really had 
it would have had any uh, bad effect on Sharapova for one specific reason. Sharapova is too much of a veteran to have let Serena pulling out to have had that much of a catastrophic effect on her ability to go out there and concentrate in the next match. If we're talking about a, a young Sharapova, maybe. But this is somebody who has won Grand Slam titles on on multiple surfaces and has thrown, he's been through so much adversity of her own that to be thrown off by something like Oh my God, Serena! She retired out of my match. I can't go out and play now. I just, I just can't buy that. It just doesn't seem. I, and that's not what I mean. Not like that. Like, I just, you, you I really smeared what I said there. I know, I know. Look, I'm just saying. I just, I don't think that Sharapova. I'm sorry. I don't think Sharapova would have let that have such a negative effect on her ability to go out there and play her match against uh, Muguruza and and play so effectively. I think. Sharapova went out there, and unfortunately, A, I just don't think she played well, but I also think she was going up against somebody who is her mirror image, and I, I just, you're talking about somebody who is much younger. That's true. And, and I just think that's And it also was a champion, too. But, it wasn't like Muguruza was just a dirt baller that good on clay, proven A, she won Wimbledon mm-hmm. and the French Open, so... Yeah. That tells you that's the two hardest surfaces to master. I mean, hardcore's hardcore. Um, so I, I agree in that. And like you said, Mike, at the very end, Mike's going to uh, uh, give out the uh, email address so you can send in. Um, I'm very interested to hear as many people um, would like to respond. Yes, please absolutely. As I absolutely agree. Um, because I just would like to know whether I'm similar, like a lot of people thinking like Mike and I, or like Mikey. It's really not a wrong way it's to think possible. about it. But no, it's, no. Uh, it's I mean, good, absolutely. It's, it's a good and, question to and ask. Um, I'll, be, I'll be totally honest. I, I do agree with you that I don't think she would have beat Muguruza necessarily. Like, maybe, maybe. the but way that it ended up, think, the way that it, it ended up being. You still think it was it was worse for her than, than I think play. it was mentally worse for her not playing her because there's so much buildup for it. Do you think the day's off? And I do too because she still has lack of match play. That's true. She has mental ma- lack of match play, and when you go and you go day on, day off, day on, day off, day off, day off, play, and now you're playing a person who is exactly like you, but you have to outplay her in the exact same style. Fair point. I, I, I mean, and again, That's a fair I, again, point. no right or wrong way of it. I just feel like with all the buildup for it and then it not happening, it's deflating. Yeah. Now, no, granted, Eric, like you said, she could have gone out there and Serena could have still smeared her and that would have been the end of it. But my point is, if you go out there, you play a Serena who's not match tough, is not physically in in her prime shape and ready to go, yeah. you never know. You never exactly. know. That's true. You never know. Yeah. You can catch her off guard and that's, that's, that's how it happens. But anyway, again, Mike, we'll, we'll go ahead and say this at the end, uh, you know, of the email address to write into. We would definitely like to hear your thoughts. But let's go ahead and get on to the final. Road to the finals. Uh, road to the finals. So Simona Halep comes out and um, arguably probably plays the worst set she played in the entire tournament right out of the gate. Yeah. And then after that, um, it was kind of smooth sailing for a while. Beats Allison Risk in three sets. Uh, beats American Taylor Townsend uh, very easily in straight sets. Uh, has a very tough first set against Andrea Petkovic. Yeah. Um, and then steamrolls her in the second uh, straight sets there. Elise Mertens, I was quite surprised by this yeah. scoreline of uh, a 6-1, 6-1. Such a dirt ball. I did not expect yeah. that to be that easy. Wasn't um, ready for the occasion. Probably not. Um, and then then we obviously inspe- expected a tough match with Angelique Kerber, which it ended up being at least initially. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Halep getting through the first set wins in three. And then... Um, 
I really felt surprising scoreline against Muguruza as well. I didn't expect it to be that straightforward. Yeah, I was surprised. Uh, against Muguruza. But admittedly, I feel like Halep's defense allows for Muguruza to hit a lot more errors, which is what ended up happening. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then Sloan Stevens uh, comes out and, and plays a, a pretty good first couple rounds. Uh, Arancha Roos uh, in straight sets. Um, <laughs> Magdalena French, I believe, uh, in straight sets. Uh, and then the giant killer, Camila Georgie, almost killed her. Yeah. 8-6 uh, in the third set. Correct me if I'm wrong, I think she saved multiple match points yes. yep. uh, in the third set to win that matchup. Um, skates by there, and then immediately picks form back up again. Uh, and just crushes a net Contavit. Contavit straight sets 2-0, and zero, and then destroys Kazakina 3-1. and one. That surprised me. And we're thinking, okay, well, all right. And then, and then we have our rematch of the U.S. Open final against Madison Keys. Complete exacted result. Yeah, I, I didn't. Yeah. I I couldn't understand it. I talked about you with you for a long time about it. Yeah. I could I, not I, believe it was the exact same result again. I honestly thought it would have been different because of the service. Yeah. I, I see. I called it that Slim was going to win just because I thought that a she beat her in the final, which is the harder thing to do. Yeah. So it's a semifinal. It's not as much pressure, and you've got the confidence that you just beat her the last time you played her. Mm-hmm. And Stevens came off, and she won with Miami. Ernie Wells. She won one of the Master Series on the women's side anyway. So she not that she oh, won a clay tournament. Yeah, Stevens won. They they even said it during the match. Oh right, right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. So she had a Master Series. So like it's not like she pulled a Chechinato. Not that they're the same related, but coming out of nowhere and like playing really well. Stevens was playing well through the year. Yeah, she didn't do you know great at the Australia. Australia yeah. But after that she started to pick her game back up and then as she was walking through people, I think the crushing of Contavit and Casakina, she just came on with some confidence and swagger that alright, I've taken out Georgie Contavit Casakina in a row. Right. I've already beaten Keys before. I want to get to the finals and I think she was just less tentative. Keys looked a little bit tentative on points that she looked like she had the chance to pull the trigger, go from defense to offense. Kind of like some balls that were like there, she could run, but was easily able to go down the line. She missed a few shots down the line that she didn't take. Yeah. Where Stevens was not in good placement. And it just felt like she was a little tentative. And then Stevens was just looser from what well, I was watching. To me, when I watched the match, the problem with Madison Keys and in, in this matchup between her and Sloan is that Keys has so much power and she doesn't know how to not go for the big shot. Like uh, team. <laughs> yeah, she can't she tries to hit through Sloan Stevens too much. She isn't particularly good at setting up points. Point construction, I think, for Madison Keys is particularly bad for the most part, unless she's on hard courts where I think it's a little better. I mean she doesn't have the stamina that Sloan does. And I think at some point Madison starts to do a little bit of the go for broke shots. And if they're not landing in if they're landing in, then great. Uh, we've seen her have moments like that on tournaments where it's like it seems like everything she she does it, it lands in. Yeah, the great. U.S. Open until the final last year. Right, exactly. <laughs> but in this here, I think Sloan is just a wall. She he just gets back all these shots, and then Madison starts to overhit, and there you go, six four six. Boy, that sounds eerily similar to the other semifinal between Halep and Muguruza. Yeah. Yep. Uh, very yep. identical. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, in my eyes, I thought Keys was one going to win it only because we've consistently seen Sloan's form go up and down, up and down. And I felt like Keys is usually pretty consistent. You know, in tournaments, there's not really a high or a low for her. It's basically pretty consistent across the board. 
Um, but I agree with both of you that I think that the, the big difference is that Sloane's ability to stay in points with Madison's power allows her to just draw more errors from Madison, Precisely. which inevitably gave us the result. Plus, Stevens is playing a little bit with house money, too. You'd be surprised how, how people play after saving yeah, match yeah, points. Yeah, beating two of the best up-and-coming players, uh, giving up a total of uh, six games and two matches. But I'm saying after losing oh, yeah, to exactly. her, you then yeah. beat the next two people yeah. uh, who are both really good up-and-coming players, and you lose six games and four sets. Yeah. Right. It, it, so. was like, it was like Cecchinato. You know, Cecchinato didn't he, have anything... There's nothing to go against. I mean, yeah, he's I the first and time. He, he so. won that match. Chichinato won that match early on in the tournament where he was. Uh, he won in the fifth set, mm-hmm. uh, tie break. I think it was a tie break or something. But he almost lost that match too. When mm-hmm. he won that match, that freed him up, and that's what we got. Yeah, he just started to. Yeah. 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 So let's play. Let's do the Simona Halep and Stevens uh, final talk. Let's get into it. So yeah. Here. So the final scoreline: Halep beats Stevens uh, three six six four six one. Um, so right off the bat, factors that led to Simona winning the match. Um, I just think her consistency to, uh, basically continue to just beat away. And I honestly feel like she, uh, there was a lot of very long and drawn out rallies in this match, uh, 15, 20 shot rallies, many of them. Mm -hmm. Um, I would, I would be curious, although I don't think there is a stat out there of what the average ground stroke her point was, mm-hmm. I would have loved to see what that truly was because it had to have been very long. Yeah, it probably would have been somewhere in the uh, average six, ten. Eight, six, I was eight, saying ten. six six to ten range, yeah, yeah which, yeah. you know. Um, but I just think she was basically able to, after losing that first set, I think that she was just able to outlast Sloan in the second and get to the point where Sloan just wasn't in the position to try to just take it at that point. Uh, yeah. Just, just I, because I, I honestly felt in the third set, Stevens was wore out. Completely. Oh, she was. Which she I, was completely which, physically spent. Which I find inexcusable, by the way. I do too. Because and this is something we've talked about two, about Stevens before. Two hours and three minutes. That's that's the match time. I agree. I and don't get me that. wrong. I understand. Like you said, long rallies. Long rallies. But we're not talking about a three or four hour match. You know? That's true. We're talking about a two hour match. And the fact that, you know, like if Stevens had gone through maybe a couple of maybe her last two matches. Going she had the, one match that was tough, right, to be but, honest. But I mean, her, the Keys but, match we wouldn't even consider to be that tough. But if her, quarters, if her quarters and semis have been these long, drawn-out three-set matches, and then she would have gone into the final mm-hmm. and had a really long final, then I could be like, okay, I understand the cumulative mm-hmm. you know, effect. But the fact is, she came through the last three matches barely being out on court you know, for more than an hour, an hour, 20 minutes, maybe. Yeah, I agree. And yet, and yet she goes into this match and she gets worn down. That, to me, is that is a lack of endurance on her part. I think she needs to really up her, her, training. Endu- her training and her phys- uh, cardiovascular and really up that because she should not be exhausted after a two-hour match. And by the way, she was exhausted, mind you, about an hour and 20 minutes into that match because you got to remember, the last 40 minutes – she was kind of gassing because it was even in the back end of that second set. She could already see the effects mm-hmm. were already starting to wear Absolutely. her down. And admittedly, playing Halep, who is arguably the fittest woman on tour. Yeah, definitely. No I doubt mean, about she it. She goes out there and regularly plays three-hour matches against some of her top competition regularly. Yeah. I mean, that's I, nothing well, for her. That's because Halep likes to lose the first set and then come back. Well, the you know, here's this something else, too. <laughs> I, think, I think one of the things that Halep started to do in this match is she went down a break early in the second set. Mm-hmm. And look at that point. It was like, I thought Sloan was going to cruise at that point. I thought it was going to be like a, like a 6-3, 6-2 uh, match. Yeah. Sloan wins the French Open. 
Uh, and the problem is Sloan started to get a little tired, mm-hmm. started to get a little edgy. And, and then she on top of that, a few more errors then because and she was going for broke more. And, and I think Simona, what she did, she started to turn Sloane's tactics against her. So instead of being is going for as many flat ground strokes as Halep was doing, she started to say, "Fine, you know what I'm going to do? I'm, gonna I'm move just going to move you, but more importantly, I'm not going to miss." Right. So and I'm she gonna, can do that very well. Exactly. And the problem was. When it became imperative for Sloan to be the aggressor, she couldn't. Sloan couldn't, or she wouldn't. And another thing that I want to say is, I was really disappointed with how little Sloan went for on her serves. Now, I'm not saying she needed to do the. She she didn't have to do the Dominic team. She needed to go for 115, 20 mile per hour first serves, but she was spinning in every single first serve. I mean, they're going in at like 80 miles an hour. There is no reason for somebody that has as much power on her serve as she has at her disposal when she wants to use it, she should have been going for her serve more and getting some free points Mm -hmm. because that would have cut down on the amount of big rallies, long rallies, and then maybe we see Sloane Stevens uh, finish out that second set and and win the French Open. Instead, she wears herself down, and and there we go. Preach, Mike, preach. Yes. um, (laughs) So, uh, I mean, we kind of jump into it a little bit, but so then in Sloane's position, you know, what did she do that – you know, what What could she have done differently? What didn't she do? Um, you know, you kind of touched all over that. I, I mean, to be honest. Um, she, she she pulled a team. She just ended up winning the first set. She threw everything in the kitchen sink out and it probably expended more energy than she needed to. It's her point construction comes into play and how it being fitter. Well, I think that's the complacency. That too. Sloan can get yeah. very complacent and just just hit back and forth. She relies on she her athleticism very, too much. She she and gets a hey, more athletic hey, person hey, in the match than can, can I invoke a Gilmore face here? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, okay. You know, obviously, when I'm somebody's a little more. But, uh, yes, but I'm not I, saying I'm the same thing saying, here, but get, but just know. being complacent with just hitting back and forth, or or being fine with just hitting back and forth and rallying all the time. When you've got a remarkable amount of athleticism and things come so easy to you. Sometimes you don't put in quite so much hard work because you know what? You kind of don't have to most of the time until you do. I got a question. And then so we, we, yeah, yeah, so, so I got a question here. So, you know, we had Sloan, we saw Sloan have this huge long layoff. She comes back, she wins the U.S. Open miraculously after this huge long layoff. We obviously know that half the reason was probably because she was so determined to get back on tour and it gave her more drive. The yeah. fact that she won the Grand Slam at the U.S. Open. We saw her then not win a match the rest of the year. Yeah. Uh, and then comes into Australia, plays okay, I guess, but not great. But then, then starts playing better. And then better. starts playing better again. Is it just because there's just not the drive that there was six months ago, eight months ago? I, I think well, I guess nine months be. ago now. Could be, but also I think You know what she, I mean? She, so is that drive the same? Well, is she a one and done Grand Slam winner? I don't think so. I, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think so because all clear she made it. I don't think she really expected to make it to the finals of the French. I don't think she went in. Nobody was going and going, man, Sloane Stevens, the 10th seed, is going to make it to the final. And something that that really threw me off at the end of the match now, again, we don't see all the time the intensity that the men have, that the women, you know, the women don't usually show that same intensity after a match sometimes. Mm -hmm. 
She seemed perfectly thrilled to death that she lost. It I, seemed that way to me. Uh, I think she, no, like I, she seemed super happy with what happened. I think it was. You know I, what I'm saying? I don't think it's that so much. I think Sloane is first of all, she's a different beast. I think she is often very calm and collected. She takes things as they come. She doesn't. Uh, she's got a, a, a she. She has more of a carefree attitude in general, and I think that that helps take the pressure off of her a lot of times. But I think then it also can appear like she just kind of doesn't, doesn't care. care. Doesn't but care. I think what it is with her is I don't think she was. I think she was happy for Halep because she. I think she had in her comments she said if if there's anybody I could possibly lose to and be happy for would be Simona Halep in this moment. But I think it, and, and a, I would agree. There was a point in no one deserved it more than her in this instance. Right. There's a there was a point in the post match where I remember they showed Sloan and she had this look. She had her her hand in her face like this. And you could tell like she was really for a moment at least she was very Bummed out. Bummed out by not having done better. Knowing full well that she had everything in the palm of her hand. Yeah. Off a set and a break. Right. I, and I, I specifically, the night before, uh, you know, Friday night, I, I said to you know, my grandfather, asked me, oh, you know, is Sloan going to win? I said, it's in Sloan's hands. It, it is hers to decide what happens. And on my honest opinion, it's exactly what happened. It was in her hands. She decided what happened. Yeah. And... She didn't go forth with what she needed to do. I think Sloane in general, and this is not just on clay, but it's on all surfaces, especially obviously hardcore, but on any surface. I think Sloane needs to to learn to marry a bit more when to be aggressive and when to just be a backboard. And I think right now, like I said, she's responding. She's she's leaning too much into just her athleticism to track down balls. If she could learn to up that aggression by about 10%. Maybe like in New York? Possibly. Because that's think, what she did. Because remember, yeah. you and I saw her play. Yeah. And she was almost done in that match that we were at. Mm-hmm. She Multiple points, she was that close to losing. Yeah. And house money, Eric. Love, yeah, your, yeah, love yeah. your phrase, house money. She was that close to losing. She got out of it. And then, you know... We went home from seeing the U.S. Open, seeing her play, and then she played stellar the rest of the way through yeah, the tournament. Because she knew she should have lost. Right. That, that's the house money thing. So, yeah. we, so know, yeah. we know you should have lost, and it's like, okay, might as well go for broke because I, I shouldn't be here right now. So there's, there's no pressure. Take the chances. And that's what a lot of people don't do. They get tight. They get tentative. They overthink it. They mm-hmm. outthink themselves. Mm-hmm. And if you just play with a carefree attitude – uh, sometimes it's what you need. Sometimes you don't. Right. Um, but sometimes you need to. So. so then the last question, and we started touching on it already. What is the outlook for both of these women going forward? I think it's going to be completely uh, different than what we said on the men's side. In yeah. in my thoughts, at least. I yeah. think for Halep, this could open the floodgates for her. Okay. We could, we could see We could see unbelievable amounts of success the rest of the year out of Halep. Yeah. I, in my opinion. I definitely think she could win another slam this year, definitely. And I definitely think she's going to end the year number one, unless yeah. something drastically changes, in yeah. my opinion. Unless there's an injury. Um, Wozniacki. No, no, Wozniacki. Who is it that if, they, if Kerber – is Kerber's number three? Somebody that if they would have won the French Open, they would have been number one. So someone's not that far from her tail. Well, there's a lot of people that coming into this tournament had a chance. But Ka- I think the number three. Svitolina had a chance, I think, to be number one, and that she was. was I think it might have been Svitolina. So but. there was there was many players, and that's the thing with the parity of the women's game right now. Every slam that comes up, there's four or five at least. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. In Australia, I think there was seven 
they could have left Australia with the with the number one ranking, which Something is like insane. Yeah. Um, well, I think for both players, though, in my and I'm throwing my two cents, is yeah. good for both of them. I mean, it's a positive outlook. Sloan, no, she. I, I never. Not that she just shouldn't have won, but Sloan should have never made it to the final of the French Open anyway. Like not not in terms of style wise and who you would have thought. Like it's it's outside the norm because just you're thinking she she herself thought she would have never gotten there. Yeah, I don't think she expected to go okay. to the finals. I mean, I, she would you know Wimbledon in my opinion is what I would have expected her to make a finals of before a, a French Open. So I think she's not going to take anything negative about it. You know, it, it maybe against Halep. It's going to be like, all right, now, you know, I know what to not do next time I go against talent. But otherwise, it's not like a Nadal making it to the finals of French and losing where you're expected, you've been there, so on and so forth. She was a first-timer versus a three-timer. So I think, you know, she's going to take positive out of it as well. Um and I'm sure you guys agree, right? Because, I mean, yeah, Halep's, oh, yeah, Halep's yeah, going to yeah, build yeah. off of it. I think they're both going to build off of it. I think it. they can both build off of it. I think that this is a this is a possible springboard for Halep. But I think that this, you know, a result in the fact that Sloan now has shown herself that she can get there. Uh-huh. And it fun. wasn't a fluke that she was able to get to a final. Second final in three slams. That's what she's going to look at. And that's how I would say it is, look, yeah, you didn't win anything for like eight matches in a row after US Open. But you fought back. You played decent in Australia, not great. But then you made the finals of the French, and that's. I think she's going to take all the good out of that. Well, so, I think you got to take. Yeah, you got to take positives out of all this. And I think Halep is obviously got the monkey off her back. We'll see what she does moving forward. Uh, Stevens, we'll we'll see if she can take some of this balance out, uh, or some of this uh, results and balance this out with some of the other stuff. And uh, yeah. So, all right, that looks, that's it. Anybody have anything else they want to say? Um, um, just, you know, final thoughts. Um, it was a pretty good tournament all around. It was nice to see a couple of people you didn't expect. Mm-hmm. Del, nice Delpo make it to the semis. Chechinato, you know, with the Cinderella run. Uh, Sloan being a nice surprise. You know, all right, Halep finally winning. Great. Good for her. I'm not, I'm not upset as much um, <laughs> because I'm happy that uh, an American made it to the finals that's not named Serena. She was the first finalist to make it to the French Open not named Serena since 2001. Capriotti. I was going to yeah. say, I, you ruined it, Mike. I was going <laughs> to throw it out there. Who was it? He was Sorry. drinking water. Sorry. So, yeah, so uh, Capriotti. So, I mean, that's great for, you know, American women tennis that somebody outside of Serena made it there. Um, but, Obviously, a great one. Nadal won. So, yay for Mike and I. Um, Halep yep. won. So, Mikey was looking forward to that a little bit. You know, <laughs> as Mikey slits his wrists over here, that Nadal won number 11. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I think it was a great tournament all around. Um, I'm happy for Team 2. I'm happy the team made it to the final. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he's the heir apparent right now for the French Open after, unless... Unless Djokovic comes back into form, I think team uh, is the clear-cut number two after making it to the finals. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with Wimbledon. Um, when's our next? Not really sure at the moment. We'll let you guys know on uh, on our Facebook page as to when our next episode is. It might be next week or maybe the week after. We're not really sure. We'll discuss What's that. What's going on? But yeah. um, my final thoughts are going to be this. Uh, Nadal won 11. And I think for some people that might be a ho-hum um, kind of thing, you know. But I think we have to remember something that 
you can't take any of this for granted. I know it sounds like, you know, it's kind of boring and some people will say, I just wish someone else would win. And My I totally God, I'm bored it. to death, Mike. But, no. <laughs> but, but I think you have to remember something. I mean, you might think that way in the moment, but remember when this is all over, you know, you're going to look back, I think, and appreciate it when it's all over. If you're bored now, at least you should, because uh, this will never happen again. No one's going to get to 11 French Open titles, 12 French no. titles. No one's even going to get to double-digit figures, I don't think. And if it does happen, we'll be probably long gone, I'm guessing. I would think so. I mean, to be honest, at this point in time, it's probably unlikely that we'll see anybody get to double digits at any other slam, period. Federer's close. Yeah, Wimbledon. He has uh, But nine. I mean, but admittedly, Father Time is still knocking on the door, so you never know right, right. when that could end. So, I mean, if he wins this year, okay, maybe. Maybe. Uh, but even still, in my honest opinion, I, I, I still think that he is on a very short time clock at this point. Yeah. Um, he's done everything he's needed to to prolong it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I applaud him for that. It's It's been sad that we've lost him for a quarter of the year every year for the last several years now. But yeah. the fact is, it's it's what has had to be done. It's the, it's the necessary evil of being able to play longer yeah. um, for him. Something that maybe... You and Eric have referenced many a times that Nadal probably should have been doing, but hasn't. Yeah. But anyway, besides that, um, no, uh, you know, uh, still congratulations to Nadal. Uh, the fact is, you know, he goes out there every year. Um, and, and, and to be honest, the I think that there's, there's a lot of weight of it. And that's what I was going to say. There's a lot of weight on his shoulders every year that he goes out there. He's expected to win it. Uh, it doesn't matter who he plays. It's, it's expected. Um, and to be honest, you know, I think that's, for me, not so much that I just want to see him lose. It's just I want to see someone else win. Yeah. Um, I know that's hard to believe, Mike. No, uh, but no, honestly, I just, uh, you know, even when Roger went on his string of winning everything time after time after time, I myself was super excited after he would win. But afterwards, I'm just kind of like, you know what, though? I kind of wish that somebody new would get yeah. something. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if, as far as the French goes, that that – Perfect example of that. I'm super excited for Simona Halep to finally win. Yep, Someone that you and I have been very high on for a very long time. Yes. Uh, about finally getting to the spot. It was only a matter of time, we said, for a very long time. But I think you and I both agreed after the French Open last year, we were both like, maybe that time's gone. It's awesome. It, we, even as young as she is now. But, you know, the fact is, I think that this could springboard her um, to possibly cementing herself as a true number one. And an all-time great. And, and an all-time great if possibly. things continue, which yeah. they can. So, you know, at this point in time, you know, um, I think that, you know, uh, is super excited about the whole tournament. Love the fact of Cecinato, uh and Del Potro, just like Eric said, getting through the tournament and, and having some really surprise results. Um, I was really disappointed by Keys not getting to the final, being in that position again. Because uh, I've said for a long time that I really think that she – it's a matter of time for her as well. But, again, that uh, she's got a lot of time left. But the fact is it's just – it was uh, – I was really disheartened to see her lose to Stevens because mm-hmm. I really thought that, okay, you know, she this happened the first time. She was injured, which has happened to her several times now when she's gotten big matches. There's been an in- injury lingering. And then she just wasn't – the big matchup with Serena a few years ago at Wimbledon. She got hurt in the match before, barely finished it, went out against Serena, had nothing to really give to Serena. And we really thought that that was going to be an amazing match. Yeah. Um, 
you know, in New York, she had that lingering injury in the semifinal there, got to the finals, played okay, but I still don't think she was 100% against Stevens. Yeah. Um, but, but regardless, not taking anything away, I just, I was saddened a little bit by that. But overall, I think the French Open was a, a great, great success this year. It was just a great and tournament. I think it, yeah. yeah, I think it's the kind of thing that hopefully we'll start seeing a little bit more of mm-hmm. going forward. Yeah. Um, and we'll, and we'll start, uh, I got to throw team in there too. I'm super excited that he made the next step, mm-hmm. made it to a final. Yep. Um, you know, and honestly, in my terms of things, I, I still think that kind of vaults him ahead of Zverev. Even though Zverev has had many, many more successes other than at the Grand Slams, again, he just played himself into a corner yep. this 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 tournament and put himself in a really bad position that just allowed team to step forward and, and take that next step. Who knows? Uh, we'll see in the future here, but I definitely – we've all – all three of us agree that the team really is the heir apparent to Nadal here at, at Roland Garros. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. All right, everyone. That's it for our uh, rundown of the Roland Garros. Uh, doing our little review here of all the the big stuff here. If you guys want to send in some feedback to the podcast – uh, very simple. It is tennisatticpodcast at gmail.com, all lowercase, uh, all one word. So send in your feedback. If you have any observations of your own, uh, please do. If you want to touch on the Sharapova thing about her sustained run to form and, and how much the pulling out of that match, of Serena pulling out against, of that match against Sharapova had an effect on her or lack of effect, uh, certainly write us in about that. Uh, any other points that we've made here in the podcast, please do. And if you have your own points, uh, on stuff that we didn't bring up or, mm-hmm. or other observations, don't hesitate to send in your your feedback to the email, and we'll get that in on our next episode. So, and tennis fans, remember the grass is greener on the other yes, side. The grass, <laughs> yes, yes, the grass is greener on the other side. So, all right, everyone, we will see you guys next time on the Tennis Attic Podcast. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Do you like podcasts about movies, television shows, books, games, and pop culture? How about sports like football and tennis? Here at Freaking Geeks Media, one of our many goals is to create a variety of podcasts that you can enjoy listening to. From the Freaking Geeks podcast to Hungry for Hannibal, Friday Night Mics, the American Gods podcast, and Stranger Things, we know that giving you an assortment of options is one of the best ways of bringing you back for more. But it does take quite a bit of work and expense on our end to make these podcasts a reality. Patreon gives us the opportunity to make a living doing what we love. However, to do this, we need your help. By donating as little as a dollar a month, you get access to both past and upcoming Patreon-only content, as well as early access to regular episodes before they appear on iTunes. Other tier rewards include monthly Loot Crate giveaways, access to live broadcasts, Freaking Geeks t-shirts, magnets, and much more. We can honestly say that anything given is greatly appreciated. So consider supporting us by going to www.patreon.com slash freakinggeeks and check out what we have to offer. We think you'll like what you see and hear. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Addict Podcast by Freaking Geeks Media. 
Be sure to visit FreakingGeeks.com as well as our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash FreakingGeeks for more great content. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really helps. If you would like to write into the podcast and share your thoughts and ask questions, you can do so by sending your email to tennisaddictpodcast at gmail.com. You can contact Michael on Twitter using at Michael underscore Lanik or at FreakGeeks. Intro music for this episode is Danger Storm by Kevin McLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Outro music is Nowhere Land by Kevin McLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. You can also find the attribution in the episode description as well.